Hello and welcome into this week's edition of the Rookie Stripes podcast here on Racing News Now. I'm Garth Allen and that is Mr. Tyler Guthrie. How's it going? Another week of racing. A uh, couple of decent races. I know the Xfinity Arca races at Portland pretty good. Uh, Gateway was okay. Truck race is better than a cup race, I thought. But IndyCar on Detroit was actually decent, surprisingly. Yes, I agree. Um, I do slightly disagree on the NASCAR thing, though. I feel like the cup race was actually better than the truck race. We'll get to that, though. Um, we'll, uh, there's a lot of interesting things happening this weekend, though. It wasn't um, the most boring weekend ever. Uh, I mean, we had a lot of racing in a lot of different places. And I guess let's start with IndyCar, because I think that's probably the biggest topic of the weekend is um, they're back in Detroit, but not on the same circuit that they were before they're not on Belle Isle but they're in the streets of downtown Detroit which was interesting because with some camera angles it looked like those streets were not race ready like there was literal like waves in that one straightaway where you could literally just see the cars bouncing up and down through the waves and it was it didn't really look like a racetrack yeah and that's kind of how Belle Isle was um Belli was a little bit better, but it definitely had some bumpy straights and braking zones. I thought Belisle was the perfect balance between streets and a racetrack. I I thought that was that was always one of my favorite races. And going from the Indy 500 straight to Belisle, I always thought was awesome. You get the two complete extremes of IndyCar back to back weeks. Um, I am always going to be disappointed that we're not at Belisle. We raced at Belle Isle for 25 years, and that was one of my favorite tracks of all time anywhere in the world. Um, it always produced really good races, too. Um, I understand why they moved it back to downtown Detroit. And why did they move it? The contract went up with Belle Isle, and Belle Isle being an island, they had to like ship the cars off to the island, uh, and they didn't like dealing with the logistics of that anymore. Plus, with actual Detroit having Chevy and Penske and all that right downtown, they just moved it right in front of the Chevy headquarters. Um, yeah, Belle Isle was a great track. Always produced good racing, even though it was tight and twisty. Um, after looking at the track map for what they came up with in Detroit, I thought this was going to be a completely miserable race. Uh, practice kind of indicated that also. Um that was awful. <laughs> Qualifying was not awesome either. Um, the race is actually pretty good. You had some guys that started in the back and they were able to make their way forward. Some guys at the front kind of fell back, like San Pagano. It, it wasn't bad. Uh, There's only two or three actual passing zones on this track, but because of the size and relative speed of the Indy cars, they could make some stuff work. Um, the... Four unless lane, your Pato Award. Unless your Pato Award. Uh, <laughs> he and Grosjean both, it, every time they have a top 10 car, they just stuff it in the wall trying to get in the top five. And that's not how you're going to win championships. That's how Alex Pillow and Scott Dixon have won their championships. You just got to be smarter than that sometimes. Um, I get it. Like, if my car is in the top 10, I'd want it to be higher too. But that's just not how it works sometimes. But, yeah, the track was okay. It's a whole bunch of 90-degree corners, which if you just look at a map of it, it's like, oh, great. <laughs> like, 
awesome. Yeah. But they had like the four lane pit lane. Um, that was weird. That wasn't as much of a talking point as I thought it was going to be because I thought for sure they were going to have a yellow flag and everybody's going to wad it up coming out of pit lane. Um, which never happened, surprisingly. Uh, everything I was worried about with this race didn't really happen. Um, pretty decent race. Fairly good racing the whole way through the pack. Not as many crashes as I thought it was going to be, and nothing catastrophic happened. So, decent race, I guess. Well, it depends on your definition of catastrophic. Um, the the Pato incident was very interesting. Uh, it, it looked... Basically, like he tried to do exactly what he did to Dixon at was it Long Beach? Mm-hmm. Basically, tried to do the exact same thing he did to Dixon, except Santino backed out of it in this case. Unlike Dixon, who stayed in it and didn't realize Pato was there until too late, Ferrucci realized he was there, backed out of it, and Pato, because he couldn't use uh, Ferrucci's car as kind of an arca brake, just went head on into the wall. So I like Pato, and I like him a lot more after watching 100 Days to Indy, but I felt like he kind of deserved that, and he needed to learn not to do that anymore. Yeah, uh, I see where you're coming from on that. Uh, Ferrucci definitely did the smart thing and backed out, mm-hmm. but I think that was more of a case of panic on a first-time track. Um, there was no way he was going to make that corner, whether he used Ferrucci's four tires also or not. Uh, they were both going to go in the wall if Ferrucci didn't back out. Contrary to what happened with Pato and Dixon at Long Beach, um, they Pato was going to make the corner, but he kind of just bumped Dixon out of the way there. Here, not even close. He was going straight at the wall no matter what. Um, I, I don't know about that because I feel like had he bounced into Ferrucci, that would have given him enough turn to the right to where he'd have actually... He might have grazed the wall coming out, but he'd have gotten it with the side of the tires instead of like going in with the nose, and he'd have been okay. Yeah, I just I don't think he meant to send Dixon in the wall at Long Beach. Uh, he said as much after the race. He said he was just alongside of him and thought he had enough space to make the move. So I don't think he's in this idea of he just get alongside somebody and use their four tires and send them straight in the wall. I just think he completely forgot what the corner was like and after watching practice and qualifying the whole weekend nobody was making passes there that was the first time anybody really tried to go too wide through there and it didn't really work out well i don't think he's necessarily trying to use everybody else as his brakes he's not necessarily trying to go full arc of brakes but at the same time i think he's he's in this mindset of he's going to put these guys in bad positions and it's their choice if they back out or not. Like we've seen guys in NASCAR do things like that, especially recently. Um, it's more of a mindset thing of I'm going to make this move. You back out or you're the one that's going to have an issue, not me. And in this case, he misjudged it and made himself have an issue. But I think it's more of a respect kind of thing. He's not really showing these guys the respect that he needs to in certain situations. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Pato is very opportunistic at times yeah um we've seen this a couple times long beach he did it twice did it at indy on erickson um it, even though i think erickson kind of blocked him all the way down the back straight and kind of deserved it but 
yeah, and then with this one, it's just kind of you can't do that. Yeah, you you got to be smarter than that, especially if you're in the championship fight. Now he's fifty odd points back from Polo. Now um, Grosjean did the same thing. He keeps just stuffing it in the wall in random places. Um, I heard a report that it might have been a suspension failure for Grosjean this week, which would make sense based on how bumpy the track is, but it still wouldn't surprise me if he had a top 10 car and stuffed it in the wall trying to get it in top 5 again. Uh, Will Powers talking about this in 100 Days Indy. Sometimes you just got to take what it gives you. If it gives you a top 10, gives you a top 10. If it gives you a win, you get a win. Um, with how competitive this series is, you cannot take DNFs like this. Well, and speaking of willpower, I think that's something he's learned over the years, too. I don't think he was always like that, was no, he? No, he wasn't. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, I think that's just something you learn with time. Um, Grosjean's not necessarily been in IndyCar that long. He's not necessarily been in something competitive for very long. When he was in F1, he was never in anything good to where he had the the opportunity to run well and win races. So I think it's just a matter of him kind of getting used to being in that good of equipment and learning that while my car is good, it may not be a race winning car and it's better to come home with a top 10 than it is to overdrive it and wreck it. Yeah. I'll kind of lay on Grosjean a little bit every once in a while, just because he's a very talented driver and a fairly good car and just keeps making too many mistakes. But I like to see that the passion is there for Grosjean because when he does stuff like this, you see him smacking the steering wheel and kicking himself and always says something after the race about it. Mm -hmm. And I like that. I like that he cares. It's not like other people when they stuff it in the wall and they're just like, oh, we'll get him next week. Like he knows how much this affects him and the drive to keep doing better keeps getting him in these situations. And hopefully he'll be able to snap out of it and get a couple wins at the end of the season. Yeah, I think so. I mean, he's got the speed that he definitely can win races and, oh, and he's can been, win a bunch of races. He's been there every race this year. Mm -hmm. He was there at Texas, and that's a big oval, and that's one of the first few times he's been on an oval. So mm -hmm. uh, he he's fast. He's consistently fast, consistently not getting the right result. Yep. And I think he'll turn it around. I mean, you can't drive like that forever. Somebody is going to come to him and be like, hey, man, you can't be driving like that. Like you gotta be, you gotta use your head. You gotta be smart. You gotta make yeah. it to the end of the race. I mean, you can't win if you don't make it to the checkered flag. Um, this is why I wish Andretti had a more senior driver because Colton Hurt is currently their most experienced full-time driver. And he's what? 22, 23, mm -hmm. something like that. Um, they don't have any of those championship caliber influences. Like, Alex Pillow has with Scott Dixon and same with Marcus Erickson. Scott Dixon it can tell you when to back out because that's how he's won six championships. Mm -hmm. And he's right in the top five in the championship for another championship run this year. He's very consistent, always takes what the car gives him. And he's been able to pass that down to Pillow and Erickson. And that's why they're both at the top of the championship this year. Um, McLaren doesn't have that. They have three very talented drivers, but I don't think Rossi is going to be the kind of guy to tell you to back out of something. Um, yeah. Three very good drivers. Andretti's got two very good drivers and 
two okay drivers. Um, well, Kirkwood's good too. He's just also in his second year. Um, and keeps getting like on the short end of the stick the past couple weeks. Detroit got run over by Callum Eilat, and, and Indy got smacked in the back behind by Felix Rosenquist. But yeah, I, there's just no real authority figures in these teams to be able to coach them through it unless they're listening to their crew chiefs. But other than that, they're very vast, all of them. Well, I mean, you mentioned full-time drivers at Andretti, but I mean... Marco is still in the fold there. Would you trust Marco to be senior leadership enough to be able to tell him what to do, even with as kind of unsuccessful as Marco has been? That's the thing. I don't think Marco's ever been successful enough to really carry the weight of saying something like that. I yeah. I feel like, say you're Colton Herta, you're going for the win at Nashville and wrecking the last corner on the last lap going for the win and then marco andretti comes to you after the race and says yep should have backed out on that one like yeah great thanks right <laughs> i don't think that carries any credibility at all i mean to be fair he did well in srx the past couple of years so that's does, not quite any car <laughs> well no it's not but does that make him hold any more weight does srx do anything more for him and his credibility no, I, I honestly, I just think it's Marco trying to race something competitively, and all those cars are fairly similar, and it's a stock car on a short track, so it's not that hard to do well. Um, you see guys like Paul Tracy and Elio Castroneves running up front there, and it's like, eh, okay. <laughs> Speaking of which, I forgot, it's almost SRX time. They it start next weekend. SRX time. Next weekend? Yep, next week, or no, I looked at that wrong, it's July 13th. July thirteenth. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm. I can't wait for SRX to come back. I thought that was really fun last year. Um, it's a fun idea. It's a cool series, and I'm glad that Tony Stewart and Ray Abraham were able to come up with it. Yeah. Same. Um, uh, I feel like that's a little later. Weren't they in June and July before this year? They're July and August. Uh, yeah. I'm with you on that one. I don't remember exactly when it was, but but it's yeah. it's all Thursday nights this year on ESPN. Thursday nights. Yep. So it was Bring Saturday back night. Thursday night thunder. Was it Saturday night last year? I think it was. I think it's been Saturday night the first couple of years. I think they intentionally made it Thursdays this year because they wanted it to be like Thursday night thunder on ESPN. Yeah, Thursday night stuff's fun. Um mm -hmm. I've always liked Thursday night NFL games. Um uh, it's just it's something different. You can't pack that much racing into a Saturday and Sunday weekend. Right. Well, and I, I think they wanted to not compete so much with NASCAR and IndyCar and all these others and make it a little easier for some of these guys to come race with them, too. Yeah, because uh, I where was I listening to Tony Stewart recently? He might have been on the Dale Jr. Download talking about how um, they were they were actively trying not to compete with NASCAR like NASCAR, I guess, felt very threatened by them in the beginning. Oh, yeah. I remember him talking about that. Yeah. And he was talking about how he's been trying to show NASCAR that they're not trying to compete with them. They want to like coexist alongside them. Um, and they want NASCAR drivers and IndyCar drivers and everybody else to come race with them. Cause he wants it to be like basically the modern day IROC. Yeah. And I thought it was an interesting note that Tony Stewart said that NASCAR was kind of threatened by their existence mm -hmm. because I, it was my understanding from the very beginning that the SRX was just a, Hey, we're here to have fun and have people from different series be able to race against each other like IROC and 
all like I rock was fun. You get people from all over racing people from everywhere else. And I always thought that that was just assumed. That's what the existence of SRX was. And to see NASCAR kind of freak out about that tells me more than it probably should about NASCAR's situation right now. Well, I don't. Th- I don't think NASCAR is going anywhere, and I don't think SRX is ever going to be as popular as NASCAR. So I'm not really sure what the problem was there. Well, I think what NASCAR was worried about, especially the first couple weeks when SRX started, there was a lot of excitement around SRX for the fact that um, it was actually good racing. Whereas NASCAR, a lot of weeks at that point, was not good racing because that was the end of the Gen Six era. So it was refreshing to see stock cars being able to to run well with big name drivers in them. And I think that's what NASCAR was worried about was if SRX was going to be that good and fans were going to enjoy their product more than NASCAR, they were worried that they were going to lose a lot of their fan base to SRX. Yeah, I see the point, but I don't really see a two month deal having a giant effect on NASCAR. Who says it's always going to be two months, though? I mean, they and, and Tony and Stewart talked about this. They're not trying to expand it that much because they have such a small crew. And mm-hmm. this is just kind of they're having fun with it. And this is what they want to do. And I really don't think they will expand it that much. Money talks. If there's sponsorship money to be had and the sponsors say, hey, we want you to run more races and more drivers, they might do it. I don't know. I think I think they like it being small and being what it is, but yeah, maybe Tony Stewart will get rid of some of his other endeavors and focus more on SRX. I would hate to see it go under different leadership. But. I don't know. He seems to just be taking on endeavors at this point, not really shedding anything, although yeah. some of his endeavors that he's been involved in seem to be lacking because of that, like Stuart Haas Racing has not been very good recently, so no. I don't know if that's... I don't know if that's because he's been less involved or if it's just coincidence, but I don't know. That that team has been on quite the slide. Yeah, and I don't know if it's just the Stuart Haas thing or if it's a Ford thing, because the only Ford team that's really competitive is Penske, and I don't remember a time that Penske wasn't competitive. Maybe I mean, like RFK the... has been a lot better recently. In fact, RFK, they have been think, getting a lot better. I think they're better than SHR at this point, outside of I would Harvard. agree. Harvick has carried SHR from the day he showed up there, but that's oh, beside yeah. the point. Harvick's carried SHR since the Chevy days of Stuart yeah. Haas, um, which really speaks to the testament of Harvick. And I I wonder what his career stats would be like if he was in top-tier equipment his whole career. Because even RCR, that was not super great equipment mm-hmm. while he was there. I mean, Dale Sr. was able to do a lot of stuff with it, but that's Dale Sr. Mm-hmm. Um, Kevin Harvick is able to do a lot of it, and I think that speaks to Kevin Harvick. But SHR, is, the year he won his championship, it was good. Other than that, not really the best. I mean, yeah, the team as a whole is not where it should be right now, but when he showed up, SHR was better than where he was with RCR. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, I mean... He's had better stats overall at SHR than he did in his entire time at RCR. Um, And I've asked that question before, uh, where he would be in top-tier equipment his whole career. I think he would very easily be in the GOAT conversation. Very easily. Yeah, I mean, imagine Kevin Harvick and Jimmy Johnson's car his whole career. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, 
I think we'd be talking about Harvick as at least a seven-time champion. Yeah, which would have been insane. But And honestly, as much as he wins, I honestly, we'd probably be talking about him in the 100-plus win category, too. Yeah, I could see that. Because what the next closest is Jeff? Outside of 100? I'll yeah, Jeff's at 94. Yeah, 90, I think Jeff's at 94. It's at 93 or 94. Yeah, one or the other. The, the Darlington win for Byron was the 100th win for the 24. Yeah. And I think that was Byron's 7th win. 93 for Gordon. Okay, so yeah, it was Byron's 7th. Yep. Which, that's Which, a lot of history there. <laughs> yeah, and Gordon's number 3 on the all-time list. Pearson's got... I thought it was 105. This list says 106. I'm I'm pretty sure Pearson had 105. Huh. Either way, yeah, Gordon's number three at 93. And then tied for fourth is Bobby Allison, Daryl Waltrip with 84. Daryl Waltrip at 84 wins? Yep. Jimmy Johnson was one off of that at 83. Was he's that, still racing? <laughs> yeah. Well, the way that '84 car running, I don't think that number is going to change. No, no, that <laughs> not anytime whole, soon. That whole legacy team has been a huge disappointment so far this year. I well, think. I think a lot of that is the Toyota switch. I think, yeah, since that, because uh, you know that was happening behind the scenes well before they announced it. You think so, they just kind of cut gears on this year and went switch to next year? Well. I don't think they did. I think Chevy did because Chevy knows they're leaving. So why would Chevy give them any support? That's a good point. Yeah. This whole manufacturer stuff in NASCAR over the last couple of years has kind of been blown to higher proportions than I thought it would. It's ruined plate racing or speedway racing. It's not plate racing anymore. But yeah, I mean, the whole manufacturer alliance deal on super speedways has taken away a lot of the a lot of the strategy because you just get all the Fords lined up or all the Chevys lined up or the few Toyotas lined up and yeah. you get less actual racing and it's just a bunch of manufacturer racing. Although I think it'll be interesting once uh, legacy switches to Toyota next year to see how that impacts plate racing, because you see the Chevys pit and they're always able to get back up to speed pretty quick. Cause there's so many of them. Same thing mm-hmm. with the Fords. And the Toyotas always get kind of hung out to dry, I think, because of how few of them there are. With well, there's what, so few another... of them, they end up having to pit with the Fords or the Chevys. Right. With another, what, three Toyotas next year from Legacy? on Or at the 500, two, at least? Two full-time, yeah. I, I don't know how Jimmy. much Jimmy will be running, but yeah. He'll, he'll two... definitely run the Daytona 500. Yeah. But yeah, with an extra two, maybe they could find a way to pit on their own. Uh, maybe yeah. that'll change up strategy a little bit. It still sucks, but it's something different. Yeah, I mean that's that's eight full time, and I gotta wonder if twenty three eleven won't bring the sixty seven again. Maybe if not for Travis Pastrana, for somebody. Um, yeah. So that that would be another one too. And then if Jimmy shows up, I mean we're talking that's that's ten Toyotas. Still not Honestly, quite as many as Ford and Chevy have, but it's it's getting to be a pretty good number. If the charter system wasn't here, I wouldn't be surprised to see 2311 expand to three full-time cars. 
Well, apparently NASCAR wants to get rid of the charter system. The teams don't want to get rid of it, but NASCAR does. I I don't understand why the teams want the charter system so much because, because they not, want that guaranteed money. I know, but there's not that many people trying to get into NASCAR as a one race basis anymore. Like you're not going to have 50 cars show up and try to qualify That's for a race anymore. That's because of the charter system though. Right, but even if you get rid of the charter system, I still don't think that's going to happen because of how exclusive the parts are for this car. It wouldn't be in the beginning, but I think after the charter system is gone, eventually people would be buying, like there would be enough people buying spare next-gen cars that three, four years down the road, you'd probably be 40, 42, 43 cars trying to qualify again. Yeah, I I just I think this is a big fumble from the team owners to disapprove of this because that all it's going to do is create more news about NASCAR. If you've got people knocking other people out, that's that's why Bump Day is so popular for Indy 500 because there's so many people trying to get into the race, and I think it speaks volumes. But do the team owners in IndyCar like Bump Day? Yeah. Do they? Yeah. Are you sure? positive because they haven't tried to get rid of it maybe they can't get rid of it maybe they have no say in it if they didn't want bump day anymore they would get rid of it i don't know see because the the thought process from the teams in nascar from my understanding is it's all about that guaranteed money because the way the charter system works is if you have a charter you get a guaranteed amount of the purse money per race and it's a substantial amount more than if you're an open car. That's why open cars don't really show up anymore because they get so little money that it's not worth showing up. So between that and the fact that if you have a charter, you can go to a sponsor and say, we are guaranteed to be in all of these races. Guaranteed we will not miss the race, no matter what. So your logo your sponsorship will be visible in this race guaranteed yeah i i think it's a completely different culture difference between nascar and indycar in that point because indycar they're competing for the chance to win the 500 like all of those cars could theoretically win but in nascar if you're in one of the i don't know 35 to 40 entries you're not gonna have a chance to win it's just throwing your logo on a card going around the track trying to collect money i think it's right, a completely but, different culture right but those teams are it while they can't win in the moment um and and they could win the daytona 500 that's the thing the daytona 500 is yeah. so random especially as much of a crash fest as it has become if you're in the race you've got a chance to win as long as you yeah. miss the wrecks um, but the other matter of that is if you're a team, let's take Spire Motorsports for an example. They're a very good example. When they were showing up two, three years ago, they were slow. And in fact, some weeks they were slower than Rick Ware cars. Now, Corey LaJoy's putting that thing consistently in the top 15, top 20. That team has improved immensely. So they've made market improvements each and every year and gotten faster each and every year to the point now where we're actually looking at them as a race win contender on speed at Daytona, Talladega and Atlanta. You couldn't say that about them two years ago, unless there was a bunch of wrecks and all the fast cars got taken out. 
that's kind of the point of these teams in the back showing up is they may not be able to win right now at Texas or Charlotte or Bristol, but in three, four years, if they put the money in the right places and continue to grow that team in the right way, they might be able to. So while, while they're showing up slow in the beginning, they're still, most of them are trying to improve themselves. So I don't know that it's as much of a, a culture difference as you think it is. Yeah. I, I just think the, the uh, charter system is just bad for the sport and it's, Oh, it, it is. I agree. It, it shows badly it, even worse that the team owners want it and the series doesn't. And the fact that the team owners have that much of control over the series to say, no, you're going to let our cars in. And it, I just think it's weird that, Teams like Hendrick and Penske and all the Toyota teams are supporting us so much because, what, you think your car's at risk of not making this race? I mean, to be fair, Austin Cindric has not been fast this year. It would not surprise me if we had 40-plus entries at certain races that he didn't miss a race. Yeah, maybe. Um, I think that's more of an Austin Cindric problem than a Penske right, problem. Right, but that's but... what I'm saying, so... I mean, you you said that you're surprised you think Penske cars aren't at risk of missing a race. I would argue the two might be at certain tracks. The good Penske cars aren't at well, risk. <laughs> fair. I, I, I have not been impressed with Dawson Cindric at all in the Cup Series. No, same. Um, I, the only reason he's there is because his dad's there. Honestly, outside of his last two seasons in Xfinity, I've never been impressed with Austin Cindric. I mean, look. Well, back and at his- even then, it helps when you have like literally all of Ford behind you and another car. Right. I mean, look back at his days in the truck series. He was not very good. He was fairly dirty driver when he was in the truck series. His one and only win in the truck series came from just punting Kaz Grala out of the way in the keyhole at most Sport in the last lap. He never <laughs> won a race heads up. He basically was an early version of John Hunter Nemechek. Great. Right. Which John Hunter Nemechek proved this weekend that he has not changed a bit since the day that he pinned Cole Custer to the wall at Mosport to win a ra- to win that truck race. Yeah, he has he's not gotten faster since bit. then, but he hasn't changed his racing style at all. Has he gotten faster, or is he just in better equipment? Because at that time he was just that's in a, in a Nemco a truck owned by his dad. That's probably a lot of it is better equipment, but he has been running up front a lot this season. He's uh, in the best car in the field, of course he is. That's true. Um, yeah, it, I didn't like at all what he did to Sheldon Creed this weekend. No, I that didn't was, either. That like, was he dirty. Didn't, he didn't even try to make the corner and it was for a stage win. It wasn't even for yeah. the race win. It was for that's, a stage that's just, win. That's another reason in the pile of why I hate stage racing is because you get crap like that every once in a while. Like, I don't mind if they're racing really hard for something in the middle of the race. Like, that's cool. That's mm-hmm. what stage racing was supposed to be for. But when you have a guy taken out a faster car on the last lap of a stage, stage one, no less, like, why? (laughs) Right. Because that's just how he drives. Like, sure, he's won a bunch of races at this point, but I'd argue that's more on the equipment than him. But he's not changed a bit since the day Cole Custer tackled him on the front stretch at Mosport. (laughs) Has not changed. Yeah has not changed a bit since that day. And I don't think he even realizes that what he's doing is dirty and not acceptable. Like, 
he is so far different from his dad. Like, Joe Nemechek would have never driven like this. No, Joe Nemechek never took anybody out. <laughs> right. And so I don't understand how John Hunter became like this. Like, the only the only explanation I can come up with is nepotism. Nepotism <laughs> is a hell of a drug. And the fact that he has his dad's name and he's been able to be successful in NASCAR and get rides because of his name of Nemechek, it, 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 it gives him this mindset that he can drive however he wants to drive. Yeah, we know now, especially with what's going on in the Cup Series so far this year, you can't drive however you want to drive. Nope. Um, somebody's going to get butthurt about it, and you're going to be out of a ride at some point. But, yeah, I, I, I that's a good point. Uh, Joe Nemechek never would have raced anybody like that. No. And, then, and then John Hunter just comes over here and whacks the crap out of everybody. Uh, I guess I hadn't really thought of that before. But, yeah, John Hunter's not been one of my favorites to watch in the Xfinity mm -hmm. this year. He's been fast, but that is a really quick car. Um, I think if you put pretty much anybody else in the Xfinity series in that car, it'd be doing about the same. Um, but yeah, I just, Portland was weird this weekend for Xfinity and Arca because you get like a couple laps of good racing and then somebody just spin somebody for no good reason. And I thought it was I, I thought it was funny. The Arca restarts they didn't even use the first chicane because nope. I assumed that they thought what I thought when Arca went to Portland that that would just be a complete wreck fest every and single that's, restart. That's what it has been in the past, and that's exactly why they did it. I just think it's hilarious that the drivers just wreck so much there that they're like, yeah, we're not even going to use that corner. <laughs> Jake Drew got his first win stolen from him in 2021 because he got forced through the chicane. Well, I don't remember exactly how that went, but he, he missed the chicane somehow, not of his doing, and kept going because it wasn't of his doing, so he didn't think he needed to serve a penalty. Crossed the line first, and they took the win away from him because he had missed the chicane <laughs> on a restart. Okay, this is a problem I have with any road course track that has large amounts of concrete runoff. Stop it. <laughs> put some gravel, put some grass, quit with this just concrete jungle of runoff. You've seen this in every F1 track. You're starting to see it in IndyCar every once in a while. Now you're starting to see it in NASCAR, where it's like you can completely miss the corner and just go straight like you're playing it on Xbox. You should not be able to do that. There should be a penalty for going off the track, and it shouldn't be a driver-serve penalty. It should be a penalty of the course. Even golf has this. See, the argument against that, though, is that if you put gravel or grass or whatever down in these places, then if you make one mistake, your day is pretty much over. Whereas okay. if you if you make a little mistake now, you can recover from it. Okay, so I'm be not, precise. I'm not, I'm not saying that that's a correct way of thinking. I'm saying that is the argument for this. I, I understand the argument. I just, I hate it because it's, it's like, what, you think you're not talented enough to be able to make this corner nine, 90 times? That sounds like a you problem, buddy. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, especially if you miss it a bunch, 
yeah, there there definitely should be more of a penalty than just stop and go or pass through or whatever. But like if you miss it one time from a mistake or if somebody forces you wide or whatever, your day shouldn't be over just because someone else forced you out there. Which and we saw plenty plenty of times, both in Xfinity and in Arca, where people were shoved off track in that chicane by someone else and it was not of their doing. Yeah. Parker Kligerman going for the win and the last restart for the Xfinity yeah. race. Which did Which, you notice he still ended up making the chicane. The other two didn't. <laughs> he did. Um, I mean, I, as much as I want to rag on that, if you're Parker Kligerman, you kind of got to go for that at that point. Right. Um, no, I, he, I he almost he made it too. <laughs> yeah, almost did. I think he ended up getting wrecked there in the last lap or two or something because he ended up like twelfth or fifteenth or something. Yeah, Not, he he fell down to like eighth or ninth after that, and then just kind of took a free fall after that. Yeah, but my my guess is he got wrecked somewhere back there, and we just didn't see it. Yeah, because the Fox coverage has been so awesome for NASCAR this season. You know I, what's interesting is they actually seem to be trying to listen on the Cup broadcast. Everything else is still terrible. Yeah, the, the cup, cup broadcast I thought was better, but the yeah. Crux was awful. Xfinity was not great. Like so, I've I've never been excited for the NBC section of NASCAR. Right? They've they've been trying to fix some of the complaints in the cup broadcast, like they've been showing more battles back in the pack and not necessarily focusing on the leader when there's nothing happening with the leader. They've been doing that better, but they've also not really cleaned up how lackadaisical the booth is and, and Clint mm-hmm. just being silly and goofy and not really adding anything. <laughs> Although I still think it's funny that when Clint was like, Oh, let's stay on this onboard. And they changed cameras. He just like <laughs> threw a pin in the background. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the, the truck broadcast this week was miserable. I thought because there were three or four different times that somebody wrecked and the caution came out. And for like 10 seconds, you're like, why are we under caution? Right. And then they, then they show a car completely destroyed in the inside <laughs> wall. And you're like, Oh, Okay, that would do it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yep. And like the commentators didn't even know it was happening. It's like, oh, we're under caution. And then they ch- switched to a car that doesn't even have an engine in it anymore. And they're like, oh, well, that's why. Like, I, I, I'll give the commentators credit because one of two things was probably happening there. One, they weren't at the track, which is a possibility. They, they don't like to put the truck broad commentators at the track. A lot of times they are a lot of times in the booth in Charlotte. I don't know if that was the case this week or not, given that it was Jamie little, she might've actually been there since she was on pit road on Sunday for the cup race. Um, wow. But the other possibility could have been, they tell the broadcasters watch the monitor and don't look out the window. You only need to see what's on the monitor because we don't want you talking about things that aren't on the screen. That way, the viewer doesn't get confused. <laughs> that's, okay. That's a normal thing. They at least tell them that in all racing broadcasts. I don't know if that's a thing in other sports, but I know that's that's a normal thing in in at least for NASCAR. Is they tell them watch the monitor, don't look out the window. Which I know. I know wow. DW always did not listen to that because DW was always looking out the window and, that, that and yelling was one of my about favorite. Those are <laughs> my favorite things about the Fox 
yeah. portion of the years because DW actually seemed like he paid attention to what was yep. going on on track. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I hate that. I don't think you should be able to restrict the commentators like that. I think if you've got commentators, you got to trust them to be able to make the best broadcast for your sport. Right. Clearly when your camera directors can't even pick which camera they want to show, like, you need somebody to be looking at the track. Otherwise, you get Clint Boyer talking about how Kyle Larson's 19 seconds ahead of everybody else for the 19th week in a row. It, right. It, it's not good for the broadcast, and I hope they take some of these comments that everybody, literally everybody's been making over the course of this year, take it to themselves over the uh, off season for Fox and change something for next year. But I'm not super hopeful. So I'm not either because it's not like this is a new phenomenon for Fox. They've been like this for a few years. So no, it was tolerable when they had Mike Joy, Larry Mack, and uh, Daryl Waltrip. But mm-hmm. ever since they've started retiring that booth, it's just gotten worse every year. As much as I love Jeff Gordon, mm-hmm. bad idea. <laughs> I think it started before then because DW in his later years in the booth was not as on his game as he used to be. Like, I don't know if like his, his mind was just deteriorating as he got older or what it was, but he, he wasn't as sharp in his later days in the booth as he was in the beginning, like early days, DW in the booth, him, Larry Mack and Mike joy were the dream team. They were so good in the booth. Yeah. Later, I I, I do think maybe we got a little spoiled from that era of Mm -hmm. it. And there's just not really any way to come back to that. Tony Stewart's been really good though. Yes, he has. And it's unfortunate. He's not going to go full time in there. Like, honestly, I think realistically they should kick Clint to the curb and they should bring Tony in with Kevin and Mike joy next year. I think that would be a good booth. Yeah. As long as it's not Steve Letart. I hate Steve Letart. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's why i hate that bad in the booth that's why i hate the nbc section because you get steve letart dale jr and what is it jeff uh, burton and jeff burton Rick the three Allen. of the the three of them uh letart earnhardt and burton they all sound exactly the same to yeah me. i cannot pick them apart so then you get like three identical voices screaming at each other the whole race <laughs> and then you got rick allen it's like what's that's uh Credit one bank, uh, last lap. Awesome. <laughs> like, yep. great. Thanks. Honestly, I personally, I think they should get rid of Jeff Burton in the NBC booth. I don't think he really and ever Rick contributes Allen anything. And Steve Letart and Dale Jr. <laughs> see, I see. I think they could keep Letart and Jr. Rick Allen, I could take or leave. I don't hate Rick Allen as much as I used to. Like, He's I, gotten better. Yes. I loved Rick Allen when he was in the truck in the ARCA booth for Fox. Yeah, he was it almost so seems like he's there. trying too hard for the Cup Series. He, he does. Ever since he's gone to Cup, it's like he tries too hard. And it doesn't work well for him at all. He's gotten better in the last couple of years, but I still don't know that I would... Like, I would I would kick him out immediately if it meant, like, Alan Bestwick or somebody like that could be back in the booth. Oh, dude, Alan Bestwick was on the PA at IMS all oh, week. Was he? All month. Oh, oh man. Man, it was awesome. Of course, you have uh, Dave Calabra with him, so just kind of mm-hmm. like half and half of, wow, this sucks, and oh my god, this is awesome. But yeah, right. Alan Bestwick has always been one of my favorites in every sport that he's done. I'm um, so glad they got him for SRX broadcasts. Oh, they did? He's been on SRX the last couple of years. I, don't he's, I just he's remember been... Mike Tirico being everywhere. <laughs> well, he might be on the, like the pre-race or whatever, but yeah, yeah 
Bestwick is has been the play-by-play for SRX from race number one. I, I take back what back I said earlier about NASCAR not having challenge from SRX. <laughs> now they do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Although then they'll stick Danica in the booth with him, so it's oh, kind of like, eh. yeah. It, Are they doing never, that again this year too? I don't know who they've got with him. Like it's been a rotating cast of people with I'm him. Like my, I'm gonna have my finger like hovering over the mute button. <laughs> he had Hinch with him for a few races at one point, so maybe Hinch, Hinch will come is back. okay. Yeah, Hinch would Hinch. be better without Townsend Bell. Yes, I I like Townsend Bell. A little bit too opinionated most of the time. Mm-hmm. Then you got Lee Diffie trying to like play the fifty-fifty between him and Hinch. Yeah, I like Lee Diffie. I know you don't really like Lee Diffie that much, but I think Lee Diffie's pretty good. I I like him. He just kind of does the British like scream for mm-hmm. like half the, the British scream is. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about too. No, I know exactly what you're talking about. It just made me think of something else. He does it, and the F1 guys do it. It's like, yep. good lord, just shut up for five minutes. Hell, the F1 guys, Max Verstappen could be 20 seconds ahead, and they'd make you think it was exciting as, like, Earnhardt and Labonte at Bristol in 98. Yeah, he's going around a lap car for the fourth yeah. time in the race, and you're like, oh, look at that! Yep. Yeah. Mm, okay. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Oh, we haven't even talked about the cup race yet, though. I mean, there was things to talk about in the cup race. Um, namely, what, like brake failures? Yeah, many, many brake failures. Um, I, there had to be four or five brake failures. It was kind of ridiculous, um, which apparently they said that was because they were they were using the brakes so much in the corners like it was a short track, but then the straightaways were longer than a short track so the heat cycle that you would get in the brakes was too much for them and it was it was making them fail Hmm. i i thought it was interesting that the failures were just like explosions yeah right Um, i haven't seen that in a while Uh, no because you get brakes like they'll just fade and go out and they just go flying in the wall but i've don't remember the last time we've seen that many brake rotors just explode Mm mm-hmm well and then most of them had the good sense to, they could feel it happening, and they just pinned it to the wall so that mm-hmm. it hurt less. But then you had Gragson trying the Pocono slide to where he was just like, oh, no brakes, I'm going to turn left and go down through the grass to sh- scrub some speed off. No, and ends up Nobody backing. really ever accused Noah Gregson of being the smartest cookie in the jar. So <laughs> That's true. That's true. Uh, and have you seen he- his haircuts this year? Uh, yes. Yes, I have. Unfortunately, uh, yeah, he hit the wall a ton, so much harder than anybody else that had failed brakes did. Um, but yeah, at least he walked away from it. That's that's a good thing. Knocked um, some sense in him. Yeah, maybe. Um, Carson Hosevar in the seven though. Holy, was f- good. Was he good. Yes, like I mean that seven car is better than I think what it gets credit for, but. I feel like he might have even run better than Corey would have in that car because he was, I yeah. think, 16th when he had a brake failure. You can make that argument. Um, yeah. I, at this point, I think the Spire 7 is better than Hendrick 9 for some reason. But yeah, I don't know what happened, but well, very it, disappointing that Corey got his one chance in a Hendrick car and it was just dog. Yeah. It, the whole race is just kind of like, oh, okay. And, I think well, it's it weird. Even, 
it wasn't even the whole race. Like they unloaded with that car extremely slow from like day yeah. one of practice. Like that car was never good. And at risk of just sounding like I'm trying to cover my ass for picking Corey to win the race, like I don't even think that was just Corey. Like that mm-hmm. nine car has been bad for the past yeah. year and a half. Um, is it an Alan Gustafson problem? It wouldn't surprise me. Um, I was never a huge Alan Gustafson fan. Mm-hmm. Um, cause when I don't was, think anybody has been. When he was with Jeff, it just felt like he ruined half of the races Jeff was doing well in. Um, well, it's like, been a, it's like Jeff been a, had to beat 42 other cars and mm-hmm. his crew chief. So. Well, and there's been a lot of arguments that he's done that with Chase a lot, too. So, yeah, I, honestly, I'm a little surprised he still has a job. As much yeah. outcry as there, as there has been for as many races as he screwed up for Jeff or Chase or whoever, and I feel like he's lost his car more races than he's won for them. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I don't know what Alan Gustafson's deal is. Uh, it's been the same stuff for a long time, I think, mm-hmm. and I think it's just a matter of time until something happens. Um but Hendrick's got like this weird loyalty thing where he never fires anybody. So, yeah, um, I've never you been know, impressed you say with that. that but he fired Casey Kane. <sighs> okay, he, he screwed up he, once. He, all right, <laughs> he, he doesn't fire many people, but he does fire every once in a while. He he seems to be more loyal how, than most team owners. I don't even remember how Casey Kane left. He got fired. It's just like he was there and he was gone. Yeah, exactly. He got fired. And then he went to the 95. Yeah. Yeah. And stayed there for like a year and a half and got a concussion and just left. I miss Casey Kane. Mm hmm. I guess he was talking about a Darlington that he was thinking about coming back to. Good. I mean, he has an age today. He still looks like he's 22. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In fact, I, in fact, I think he looks younger now than when he left. Which that yeah. could that could say more about the stress of being in the cup series than anything, but Yeah. Yeah. I miss Casey Kane though. He was always fun to watch. Same. Um, but yeah, it was it was very disappointing that Corey wasn't able to do anything this weekend because I I really do believe Corey is better than what that nine car showed him to be this weekend. I mean, we've seen it in the seven car, how good he like he outperforms that car on almost a weekly basis where that car should be oh what chase elliott finished 21st last year at gateway something Something like that that. but he was already finished 26th he also had that little deal with ross and denny last year so i don't know that that was necessarily where he was supposed to finish i don't know i don't remember much of that race last year outside of ross and chase and denny so it just feels like they missed the setup completely on that nine car two years in a row. And yeah. it, it's confusing. I I wrote this down in the talking points. I, I just, I don't understand whether the difference is coming in between the five and the 24 and the nine and the 48. Because the well, five and the 24 have been competitive all year. And I don't think Byron's that much better than Bowman. I don't think Larson's that much better than Elliott. Part of it might be the fact that Hendrick has two different shops. I don't remember which two cars are in which shop, but it might just be that the five and the 24 are in one shop, and that's the good shop right now, 
and the nine and the 48 are in the bad shop. I don't remember which cars are in which shops, but that might be the difference. Yeah, uh, I can't say that would surprise me too much, especially if they've had two different shops for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, I assume they always just had one, but if they had two, I would assume Gordon they've and Johnson. They've always had two. From if, the, from the time if they had two, I assume Gordon and Johnson were in one, and the they were, yes. other two were in the other two, and the yep. 9 and the 48 are still the 24 to 48. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, that's... Well, no, From because uh, Larson's is the 48 team now, isn't it? No, Larson is the 88. Oh. Wow, Maybe. Dale Jr. sucked. Un unless they really changed him around to where when Bowman went to the 48, he brought the 88 team with him. I believe that's what happened. I think they just swapped the number. It, did they? Okay. I don't remember. I don't remember how that, that all worked. I mean... None of them, I don't think any of them correlate to the same number that they used to be in terms of like what the team is. So yeah. I, I, I don't know who's in what shop anymore. In fact, you might, I might be able to tell just by looking at the Hendrick website, because I think they always had them separated on the site um, to show who was in what shop. Uh, let's see here. Because I know no, that doesn't help. Chase took over to 24 after Gordon, and then that just became the 9. Yeah. And Bowman took over the 88, and that became the 48. So which team is Byron's 24? What did that used to be? Casey Kane's. Oh. Well, Casey Kane's 5 team was terrible. Yeah. They might have just replaced everybody on that crew, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but Kyle Larson's got the 48 team i think but yeah that that very well could be the explanation as to which two cars are in the good shop and which two cars are in the bad shop but i don't know i don't know which shop is which but it it might be a sign that the 524 are in the same shop and that is that's the good shop yeah it's know. just weird that they've been in the top 10 and the other two have been just outside the top 20 for the past several races or could it be the argument that we have made many times on here that just Bowman and Elliott are just not very good? Yeah, um, that wouldn't really surprise me either. Um, but then, I, don't, I don't think Byron's that much better than Bowman, though. No, I, I agree. I don't think he is. And then the fact that LaJoy goes into the nine and does about the same thing might lend more credit to the fact that it's not necessarily Elliott and Bowman are the problem. Because uh, that's we, what we my, know LaJoy's good. That's what my initial reaction to it was, was, well, maybe Chase just is having an off-year kind of thing, and then Corey jumped into that car who's been doing better in a worse car mm -hmm. and did about the same as what Chase has been doing. So that was my first inclination that that might be what's going on. But, yeah, yeah I don't know. Hendrick might want to get to the bottom of that one. Yeah. All right, so I think we need to move on to predictions because both of us need to be getting to work soon. <laughs> um, all right, heading into this weekend, we've got three races all at Sonoma. No IndyCar, no F1. We've just got Cup, Xfinity, and Arca West at Sonoma. And then Arca will be on Friday? Is the ninth Friday? Uh, yeah. Yes. Friday, 6.30 p.m. Eastern on Flow Racing, since it's a West race. 
Tyler, who you got for that? I'm going to go with Landon Lewis. Uh, I keep saying I'm going to try to get away from picking last week's winner. I was going to say, this is the Tyler try not to pick last week's winner challenge. <laughs> and unfortunately, Landon Lewis is the only guy that impressed me this week at Portland. Um, he was really the only one that I thought really looked in control of his car the whole race. Um, I think he's going to carry that into the Sonoma, even though Sonoma has more elevation change in Portland. So maybe somebody has more road course experience to do better, but I don't really think there's a whole ton of road course experience going around in the ARCA series. So I'm going to go with Landon Lewis. I mean, we do have a decent amount of uh, Xfinity and cup driver. Uh, I don't know about cup drivers. Yes, we do have cup drivers in the field. Um, I mean, Riley Herbst is back this week. Ryan Priest will be in this race. Cole Custer's back. Uh, Sammy Smith is in this race. So, I mean, we've got some we've got some names in this race. Parker Retzloff also showing up. So, there's definitely some road course experience in this race. That being said, Landon Lewis did beat all that road course experience at Portland. Although, after he won at in the Xfinity race at Portland and almost won the Arca West race in Portland, I think Cole Custer comes back and wins this race this week in that 55 car for high point. He was super, super strong in the ARCA race and very strong in the Xfinity race too. I think might've actually had the best car in the Xfinity race, just track position and missing the the chicane once did him in a little bit. So I think Cole Custer is going to come back and win the uh, ARCA race this week. All right. Xfinity then will be Saturday also from Sonoma 8 p.m. Eastern on FS1. Wow. Tyler, here you okay. go. <laughs> right? It's a weird start time, but I'm going to go with Kyle Larson. Um, that 17 car has been very good every time Kyle Larson stepped in it. Um, Sonoma seems to be a track that Kyle Larson really likes. He's been very good in the Cup Series there, and I think he's going to be able to pull it out. All right, fair enough. I'm going to go with another Cup Series driver, though. I think Ty Gibbs picks up this win. He has been extremely good on road courses in his career in Xfinity. In fact, won his first career start in the Xfinity Series on the Daytona road course. So I think Ty Gibbs comes out and wins this race. Had the fastest car last time he showed up in Xfinity at Charlotte. I think he goes out and wins this race in the Xfinity Series. All right, moving on to the Cup Series, 3.30 p.m. on Sunday on Big Fox, the final race for Fox of 2023. Tyler, who you got? I'm going to go with Kevin Harvick. I know you kind of raised an eyebrow at this when you read it earlier. but I did. Sonoma seems to be one of those tracks that Harvick and Stuart Haas just kind of click with every once in a while. Uh, Tony Stewart got his last win here when SHR wasn't super competitive when they were still running Chevys. Um, I think this will be a weekend that Kevin Harvick surprises us. Okay, fair enough. I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily think that's a terrible pick, but I don't necessarily remember Harvick ever being super good at this track either. So he may surprise me. I though feel like I'm going for the very low hanging fruit here with the road course ace in the field, Mr. A.J. Allmendinger. I think he finally picks up his first win of 2023, locks himself into the playoffs, and puts Colleague into the cup playoffs for the first time. So, oh, yeah. They yeah. are full-time this year. Yep. So I think A.J. Allmendinger wins and locks himself into the playoffs. The dinger. The dinger. All right. So I think that's going to do it for this week. So, 
Thanks for hanging out, y'all. Have a good weekend enjoying the races at Sonoma, and we will see you next week. Hopefully, same time, same place, although Tyler's work schedule may not work out for that next week. So nope. <laughs> we'll see uh, We'll see what we can do next week. So um, at that, I'm Garth. That's Tyler. And this is the Rookie Stripes podcast on Racing News Now.